Welcome to episode 24 of the Freshman Parking Lot. Tonight's episode in honor of our guest is sponsored by Ben Gay because I'm sure when you find out who he is and what he did that this was probably um, in his bag on every stop of the way of his career. That's my, that's my guess anyways. We'll find <laughs> out. Um, remember, you can join the Facebook group. Hey guys, update. We're up to 235 members now. We picked up five over the course of last week. All right, picked up five. Uh, you can email the show. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Read the email right before we got on tonight. Uh, you still are only emailers, so if anybody wants to email the show, there's the address there. Subscribe on YouTube. We picked up one subscriber over the week. We got 41. I think, by the way, I was screwing around. I think it might have been me. <laughs> <laughs> and... Twitter, we're up to 12 because I convinced my son after I learned that he has a Twitter account to follow us. He's never tweeted. He has six followers of his own, and he is our 12th follower on Twitter. <laughs> okay, so there you go. And back to our sponsor there. Oh, boy. Now I'm letting all the cats out of the bag here. Uh, actually, special, special thanks to Nate up front. We always make fun of Nate for falling asleep and things like that. And we have a super special guest tonight with us. And Marcus, we should have asked before we started recording. Marcus, how do we say your last name? Hanel. Hanel. All right. So Marcus Hanel was um, just a, just a recently retired. Is that right? Yes. Bullpen catcher of the Milwaukee Brewers, and that's why the sponsor hopefully probably makes some sense. And in terms of thanking Nate, we're so excited to have you, Marcus. I wanted to make sure I had better internet connection than last week, so. I'm sitting in the garage. I've got a cable about 50 feet running into the router in the living room right now. So we, we hopefully don't have any spotty internet tonight. <laughs> um, but everybody, welcome to episode 24. A little bit of new intro music obviously goes with kind of the Brewers theme and the Wisconsin theme. And um, I don't know, I kind of like it. It might be have to be our intro music from now on. Yeah, man, it's got some good life to it. <laughs> I haven't heard it at all. That was the first time I've heard that song. <laughs> uh, they don't pump speaker noise into the bullpens at miller park huh no nah, it's just uh yeah roll out the barrel and jump around was never played there you know in between <laughs> yeah got it got it <laughs> well let's jump right in when was when was jump around played at miller park i think they started that in about like 2008 and we started getting that playoff push um they started doing that like i think like the seventh and a half inning <laughs> uh, okay going, yeah it's right uh that uh, uh it was like this it was like the bottom of the eighth going into the bottom of the eighth they usually were uh playing jump around trying to get those last couple insurance runs for us so um taking over that uh wisconsin tradition got it got it well again marcus thanks for being with us um I've always said I've got the second best job in the world. I teach accounting and PE, and I've always wanted to be a bullpen catcher. So um, I kind of knew somebody who knew some of your family, um, a kid that I taught, and Justin, you probably taught, uh, is now a teacher where your kids go to school, and I reached out to him and, and kind of made it happen. So thanks for joining us. And um, I'm just curious, to how, how did you get into to this gig that I consider to be the best job ever? 
Uh, yeah, it's you know, um, growing up, uh, that wasn't really on my uh, <laughs> radar to be a bullpen catcher. Right? <laughs> um, it turned out to be a pretty sweet career, but um, no, uh, I was uh, drafted uh, when I was 17 out of high school um, and played 11 years in the minors with the uh, Pirates, Braves, and Diamondbacks. And when my career was over there, uh, some uh, a former uh, uh, my, my scout, um, was now in front office with the Padres and he was asking me to go over there and he actually wanted to convert me to pitch. Um, oh. yeah. And so I was just, I wasn't quite ready for that. Um, so I just kind of was like, yeah, I'm not ready. And then he has to ask some roundabout ways at that time in 2000, the brewers are making change new GM. Um, and, uh, I said, yeah, I'm Dean Taylor was the <clears throat> assistant GM at the time in Atlanta when I was there, um, became the GM of the Milwaukee Brewers and, uh, Bill Brick was a scout and asked if I knew who Dean Taylor was. And I was like, oh yeah, I know him. I don't know very well, but, and then he asked if I remember who Jack Zarenzik was, Jack Zarenzik <laughs> was at that time in 2000, the Milwaukee Brewers head of scouting, amateur scouting. Um, and he is actually the head of scouting in Pittsburgh when he signed me. So um, I had a uh, connection there. I told them, yeah, you know, that's all I know. And they go, hey, well, they're looking for somebody over there. Would you be willing to? Uh, I'm like, yeah, whatever. And two days later, they called and said, would you be willing to work in the bullpen and catch some bullpens, throw some batting practice and stuff? I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. So I did. That's how it started. That's awesome. I love the kind of who you know type of stories and the networking and how that all works. It, that's just, I, I love it. And it, it's so true in every aspect of life, it seems like. Yeah, connections are, you know, you know, no matter what, no matter what job you're in, no matter, you don't want to burn any bridges, right? Because you never know what's going to come back. So I was very fortunate. I never uh, did those things as a player, even when things might get a little salty or bad. I didn't badmouth anyone or whatnot. I just kept it uh, professional. And uh, you know, it was a lesson learned, you know, that came back to help me out, you know, and uh, people appreciate the person I was, they knew I could impact people uh, with that, that kind of character. And, and that's why I was able to do and stay on this job through uh, like six managers that went on through uh, <laughs> Milwaukee. So, uh, you know, say what it is, it's, I think, a pretty good credit that right there to last that that long through that many managers. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> And that was something that I, I, you know, I think Brian and I talked earlier today, this morning, I was walking around school and, and talked to him. And I think both of our computers probably had the same. We had like six tabs up with like all information about you. And we were just kind of looking up. And um, one of the things that really I thought was interesting, um, I didn't realize that a bullpen catcher is actually part of the coaching staff. And I think we've all coached different sports that are on the screen. And um, I really found it interesting. And as I was reading it and really everything that I could see from you, Marcus, was just how great of a person you are and how great of, of a coach you are and how good you were working with, you know, pictures and, and hitters alike. Um, tell us a little bit how that works with, with both being, um, you know, in the bullpen, working with the players, but also being considered on the coaching yeah, staff. Yeah, I mean, very familiar, obviously, like a, uh, I mean, my background, I played you know, it was very helpful that some of the guys who I was catching, I played with even, you know, so I had familiarity with those guys and they trusted me. They knew what kind of player it was. So it just kind of grew, um, you know, everything you do is a trust factor, right? 
So uh, once the players obviously trusted in the information you were giving, um, it just grew from there. And then I was known for my defense. And so uh, I was able to use that relationship with the catchers and develop uh, an opportunity to, it doesn't say on your, you know, whatever title that I was a catching instructor, but that's what I did. You know, it's kind of funny. You have all these, not everyone's titled correctly. So, um, uh, (laughs) so I was able to do those things um, and I got to build, and I'm a relationship kind of guy. So I got to build relationships with these guys. You sit in the bullpen and, and you talk and, you know, there's also, you know, during pregame scouting meetings, you're sitting in the meetings, you're going through information. Um, you're, you're, I'm catching bullpens. So I'm actually with the pitching coaches and they're asking for feedback. What do you get? What do you see? Um, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of dialogue um, that goes in with all that stuff. So I know a lot of people say, oh, bullpen catcher, all he's doing is catching a baseball or whatever, throwing it back. But um, it's a long day. Um, everyone, is amazed that like even at my age I'll be I'll be 50 the next year but um uh all the throwing all the catching that goes on you know I mean it starts early in the day and it doesn't stop you know including batting practice and all that kind of stuff but yeah the coaching aspect you know it's kind of a developed thing you're just kind of building relationships and uh just giving them bits and pieces of information and then giving them what you know so um as you guys are coaches you know you're just giving them but parts of your experience and uh, just letting them feel confident that they think they can trust and try to try something new that might be uncomfortable for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Take, take us through kind of like a, a typical day. Let's say you've got a seven o'clock first pitch right around there. What does the, a, an average day look like? Kind of give us a feel for that, please. Yeah, for me, um, I'm, uh, gosh, I'll be there by one o'clock. Um, so this is kind of a, so my role kind of took on different things. So when I first started out, right, you don't make any, you know, money, um, especially in the role as a bullpen catcher, right? Anything like that. So clubhouse dues are due though. <laughs> so uh, there was a way, so one of the coaches who was looking out for me right away said, hey, is there any way Marcus could do something that would uh help pay for clubhouse dues right like that you wouldn't have to pay them so they kind of started giving me like little chores around the clubhouse which was kind of like it became like take care of the batting practice balls Mm -hmm. and that morphed into like rubbing the balls for the pitchers into setting up field and all this kind of stuff so my day kind of consists i get there about one o'clock um especially it was a a opening of a series um we would you know just kind of go into the kitchen maybe get a little bite to eat um, but by two o'clock, we, we would have a, a pre-series meeting um, going over um, what, you know, our game plan for that series was, um, who their opposing pitchers were, what lineups we were going to use, how we're going to pitch guys, how we're going to defend, I mean, all those kind of things. And that, and that ran the gamut, you know, for a while. And usually by three o'clock um, on the field, I mean, I, and then after that meeting, I'd hurry up and set up the field. Um, usually three o'clock was... Uh, set up for early batting practice so guys would come off the field hit early um three to three thirty at three o'clock the starting pitchers would come out they'd play catch most of their long toss that's where i would do my long toss with them uh get them on the mound um they would do their bullpen the one or two something mostly mostly two guys um would throw a bullpen that would be done the relievers would come out about 3 30 they would start doing their stuff so by the time i got done with my bullpens i would 
catch up for those guys, do some flat grounds. Um, and uh, if they wanted to go back on the mound, I would catch some more of that. Um, four o'clock usually was when uh, team defense or just uh, individual defense was on the field. 4.30 batting practice started. And when the pitchers hit, I would take them into the batting cage. Um, and every day we'd hit from like 4.30 to 5 or whatnot. Or I would delay that. And uh, usually like one of the catchers who hasn't been catching, I would take him into the cage and we would do all kinds of receiving drills, blocking drills, and kind of rotate through that each another day. And then, like I said, after that, pitchers would come in, hit. Um, and uh, if I was scheduled to throw on the field too, then hurry up, go out there, throw batting practice. And, you know, then it'd be like, hurry up, go in the clubhouse. I, I'm sorry, gather all the stuff off the field. And I would do my ball assortment right there. Um, get a quick bite to eat. And before you know it, it was heading out back on the field to start the game and sit in the bullpen and just kind of wait for that phone call for what next pitcher was going to go. And that's what happened. That was on cycle. That's kind of the day how it would go. A lot Dude, of that's nonstop I action. Throw that much, man, <laughs> worth a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Every throw. yeah. What kind of, what kind of shape is your arm in? Is it in tremendous shape or is it like a rag arm right now after all that? No, I, I mean, I love throwing still like, it's funny. I'm going, uh, with my sons, uh, I, uh, they're a very good academy here, Hitters Baseball Academy. They're yep. a very well-known yep. baseball facility here. So I uh, I help with their catching program here. And every once in a while, I'll just kind of pick up a ball and let it eat a little bit. And, these, and I haven't thrown yet. And they're like, are you kidding me? Just like that? And I'm like, so it feels <laughs> pretty good. Um, I don't have definitely the arm strength I used to. Um, I guess, I mean, I can throw all day long. Um, my body feels still pretty good, but like definitely the, the arm, the length of my throws are just, I'm, my arm's a lot shorter. I'll say that. Sure. <laughs> so are you, are you ever warming up the starting pitcher on game day or is that the, the Occasionally, that depends catcher? on where and who is catching. Okay. So, uh, when Grandall started like leading off or batting second, especially on the road, those starting pitchers wouldn't be done warming up until like almost mm -hmm bottom of the first so he would start some guys and then he'd go hey i'm going in and i'm like all right and so i'd finish up the guys before they go into the game okay mm -hmm. but mostly cool. guys are really good at this i know in our club um they want to catch the guy the whole way through which is good um there's been some times i don't know it's not of me but they would catch some half a guy and go i'm good and then they would take off and it's like all right so uh, I, I really tremendous group of guys in the last couple of years who've just, I got them, I got them the whole way, the whole way, you know? So I think that's important, seeing what they got, working them through some things, um, even starting some sequences, even in the bullpen before they go out on the mound. I think it's important on both ends. It's important for the pitcher and the catcher, I would think. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. I think as much as anything, you know, that pitcher having the, like, visual of who's going to be catching him the whole time and take that into the game is, is, is very important. Yep. All right. I got to know this is, this so Marcus, is the you, Oh, go ahead, Brad. Go ahead. I'll get to oh, I was just going to ask if, you know, with all the coaching that you've done and you talk about, you know, working with some, some catchers and your son, do you have, uh, you know, aspirations to coach uh, moving forward either, you know, at any level of ball or are you, uh, looking at the next level of your life no, as well I, you know you know believe it or not through covid um it's really 
give me a different perspective of some things. You know, I, like I said, I've been doing this since I've been 17 years old. You know, um, I've started a family. My family's been through this whole thing. I'm tired of watching my son's game through Game Changer. <laughs> Be mm. honest. You know, um, sure. I mean, Absolutely. I love what I was given with the Brewers and all the opportunity and uh, the perks of it and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's not going to change who I am because I don't have a title of Milwaukee Brewers. Um, it's time for me to like impact other ways. So that time when I was home through spring training until the second uh, till July, when things opened up here and getting to see my son play and travel with him, like, man, this is, this is awesome. And <laughs> awesome. Uh, seeing my family all the time, having dinner with them. I was like, sheesh, I haven't had this. I've never had it. Um, so it just gave me yeah. like an opportunity like to reflect on <clears throat> what's important. And so uh, right now, I just thought the Lord put it on my heart, like impact these young kids, do go there, teach them how to do it the right way. Um, so that's what I've been doing all winter is uh, going to hitter, hitting uh, hitters and just impacting some young kids and some stuff like that. So right now, that's where the Lord has me. And I'm very happy with it. I love that. Awesome. Hey, that, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. And for sure. And, and, and from three guys that work with kids every day, that is, uh, that's great to hear and great inspiration and, and love how, uh, you know, you want to work with those and spend that family time. And I, th I think you've got what, four kids. Yeah, four so kids. Being got, able to watch all got, of them grow yeah, up. I got so. two girls, twin girls. They're going to be graduating this year and they're leaving off for college. So to be home, you know, the last part of it, even the summer when they leave and the two younger boys who are uh, freshmen in uh, fifth graders. So yeah, it's, it's huge. You know, uh, I mean, if you have kids, the impact or just even knowing the impact you can do coaching wise, um, man, it means as much as anything. So uh, that's huge. And plus the game's changing too. <laughs> it's not the same as it used to be, you know, like um, it's a lot of number stuff now, right? Like, so numbers speak more than experience or what you've done. Like, they equate it to make it match up to what they wanted to say. Um, and it's a little bit frustrating, truthfully, you know, like you see and you know what's happening and they're like, nah, these numbers don't say that. And I, you know, and it's just like, all right, I'm just telling you this, that's, that doesn't work. You know, you just, so it's kind of a little frustrating when you see that being like that part of the game. And um, so it's not as fun. It's like, like, the coaching aspect has changed to like reading numbers and telling the players, this is your numbers. Mm -hmm. And they look at numbers. Okay, good. All right. You know, <laughs> so it's a little different. It's not as, it's not as personal. It's just, it's a different time. Okay. I have to ask, and you don't have to answer. Um, I know that we have like 13 listeners, so don't worry probably about <laughs> burning any bridges, but I have to ask based on what you just said. If you're Kevin Cash, are you coming out of the dugout to get Blake Snell or are you letting him go? Oh, man, I'm tired of all this. Like, oh, he's only gone to – he's already gone to the lineup three times. You got to take him out. Thank if you. You're, if your guy is dealing, you see him on the mound, he's your horse, right? Yes. The issue is, you know, we get a lot of hard throwers out of the bullpen. Yeah, but what happens is, especially in these series, you tax them yep. so much that they're not the same guy – they were when they're fresh all the time. And then you're counting on more guys to be perfect. Yep. If one guy's off, the whole game's <laughs> off. Where like in a, if the starter goes and you just let him ride it, 
you don't have to, you can have guys pick up the other guys, but man, once you shortchange your bullpen and you're just like, man, we're only this and we got these guys and this guy's struggling. Now we're hurt. You know? Um, yeah, there's, I think we, it's, this game has definitely changed. I don't always, I know you're looking at matchups, you're doing some things and you got these power arms. I know the, the hitters like, man, these guys, but there's some point at where they just, it's, you lose, they, they just, you see these, the kicker is the relievers are relievers because they didn't make it as starters. <laughs> That's the reality is <sighs> most of the guys who are relievers tried to start and they didn't make it. You know, so that's who you limit, man. You got your horse on the mound. You let him ride as long as you go. Yeah, yeah. I like then it. you use your bullpen back in. Oh. That's so you you've caught some hard throwers then. Yes. If you could pick one name, and you were like, "Whoa, this guy can bring it." Who's that guy? Either big leagues, minor leagues. Maybe we don't know him. Maybe we do. Who's the hardest thrower you think you've caught? God, but when I was coming up, like way back in the day. Um, big prospect for the pirates, but it was a Hector Fajardo. Like back then, like in the early, like when I was playing in the, you know, in the nineties, you didn't have guys throwing like past 95, right? Well, he was throwing 99 to a hundred, you know, and it was, and he got traded him and Kurt Miller ended up getting traded for Texas for Steve Buschel. Um, and Kurt Miller was another high pick. He was uh, a first rounder who got traded there, who threw pretty hard too, but, yeah, those guys um, just coming up. That's when that, like, wow. And then all of a sudden now, like, lately, like the last, I don't know how many years, it seems like every guy who comes up is throwing, like, yeah. 95 to 100, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, when Axford was rolling there um, in 11 and 12, man, he was throwing, I mean, 100. I remember being in Arizona, it was like 101, 102, like, whole, and it was coming out firm. It was firm. Um, <laughs> but, um but it wasn't like, but that wasn't like the guy who, because he's the crazy part about it was like, because he still was able to throw with location and command the baseball, the velocity for me to catch wasn't like for him, wasn't much. Like it was like, oh, boom, curveball, like that. That didn't bother me. But a guy like Ray Black, who just his legs and all over and just throwing it as hard as he can. He doesn't know where it's going. <laughs> that those are the guys you're like, Oh my goodness. The actual <laughs> hardest two of the hardest guys to catch though. Um, is Corbin Burns. Um, okay. right now. And then Jimmy Nelson, when he was healthy oh. too easily, easily <clears throat> guys will tell you the hard, the hard. Cause and, and why is that? Cause that was going to be one of my questions, not necessarily hardest throw, but toughest guy to catch. So why is that? Cause like for Jimmy Nelson, he threw a power, like a really hard sinker, but he didn't always know where, where it was going um, with uh, a slide. I mean, he threw all, but he just, and it was, it was, it was, I mean, 95 to 97 would just sink. So yeah. you had to really know how to get underneath the baseball to protect your hand and thumb uh, that way. Um, so that's why he was, and he threw a hard, hard slider that, you know, you gotta be ready to block all that kind of stuff. Um, so you did your, your pitch framing metrics for Jimmy Nelson weren't very clean. <laughs> that. Just, you know, he just he, one, he threw down in the zone. So you're not, it's harder to get strikes on that, but, yeah. um, but the, the one definitely you can ask any, the hardest one is it, Corbin Burns. <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> excuse me. Um, he he throws ninety eight with a cutter, and most of the time now, I mean, he it, it was cutter, but now he's developed a two seamer with that. The cutter, so you're as a catcher, you're you're catching this baseball, and you're anticipating everything this way, this way, this way, and that's what the big leagues pitchers do. You can just cheat, like it's no matter how hard. Well, with Corbin, sometimes that cutter all of a sudden became a sinker. And so he's throwing 98. And instead of coming this way, all of a sudden it's going that way. So all of a sudden you're going <laughs> that way. Mm. Thumbs underneath. Yeah. He's yeah. ripping thumbs. So this year he hurt Manny Pena, took him out of the game. <clears throat> um, Nottingham was so bad catching him by the end of the year he couldn't make it through that playoff game. That's why he came out of the playoff game because his thumb was like, it was, it was like this, it was two. And then he, and Corbin got me in a bullpen one day and I was like, Oh, and it's like, drop you to your knees. And then yeah. it, it doesn't go away. It's a ligament damage that affects everything you do. So when he's throwing, you're just like, Oh man, what's going to hurt today. So, but you just, you got to love his competitiveness. You, so you got to get back in there. So yeah, that, that's the ones that's the hardest. I'm, I'm glad you talked about the thumb. Cause that's why I asked that question as a former catcher. It's just like, you just dread catching it just a little wrong because it's all over from there and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And in and, and 32 years, um, I've never had uh, to wear thumb guard or anything. I just always caught balls pure. That's good. And this year, my, he got me, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that was bad. And luckily, that the trainers were able to uh, make a thumb guard, and uh, it worked magically for me. So, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that's yeah, not a good feeling when you have to try to catch a ball without, you know, it. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> you not guys fun. Not fun. <laughs> it is not fun. <laughs> Hey, Marcus, one of the awesome things you've done for Milwaukee and the surrounding areas is the Coos for Kids. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that got started and, and kind of uh, what direction that's going? Yeah, oh, man, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, we just had an event tonight. That's uh, right before here. Cool. Um, yeah, so um, very fortunate with that. Um, with baseball and in the line of work that I've been in for so long, you'd always have people ask, Hey, can you get some signed memorabilia? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I graciously asked the players and they'd always like, yeah, no problem. So you'd go to these fundraisers and you would do things and they'd raise lots of money. And then you'd find out like, all right, where's the money going and going to a nice charity, but everything was gone to a corporate office it wasn't helping out locally. And a lot of it was going to take care of administrative costs, you know, so it wasn't really going to the kids. So a couple of businessmen who I knew and said, you know, why don't you start something around here? Like, and just keep on like, all right. So as a player and I kind of guess growing up with my background, my mom and dad came over from Germany. They didn't have anything. Um, when they came here, they just, they just, but they gave everything to me, right? So I was kind of like, man, if I ever have a chance somehow, um, if I ever can, I'll try to do what I to do to help. So that's how it got started in the first year. Like we just helped like about, I don't know, right at a fundraiser, helped about 11 kids um, and it grew fast. So 
um, within that, that was in 2005. So we started this fundraiser uh, and then our charity. And uh, since then, we've, I think, raised about $700,000. Wow. Um, we've uh, bought, and that was the one thing, I bought brand new coats for over 10,000 kids. Um, just uh, one of these kids that have their own coat. Uh, I didn't want them to hand me down. You know, it's great. I don't want to discredit anyone who donates that stuff, but it was something to have these kids entitled to their own coat that they can say this is theirs. Um, and... Uh, we have a challenger baseball league, a challenger bowling league. And then we actually help like some seriously terminally ill kids and almost like a mini make a wish. I'd say, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, back schoolwork, they didn't have a laptop or something. We'd buy them laptops so they could keep up with their schoolwork, keep up with their friends. Um, now we've kind of done some other things, even sent some medical equipment to the people's house for the kids, or even sent some of them to see specialists in a different state, like flown them to those areas. So um, I always say, I mean, I started, you know, they use my name, but this is definitely a community project. Everything we make or take in, we try to put back in there. So it's a little, a little harder COVID this year. We didn't have our fundraiser like we normally do. Usually we have a big dinner, the players all come after a day game. And uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable, like after a game to have these players, uh, I they respect what I'm doing enough that they would give up a, a, a night to uh, come and sign autographs and do that. So, um, but we've been very fortunate, uh, you know, still being able to do the things that we've had today. Like I said, um, our coups for kids, we call them uh, our own kids. We have the kids who are like in our challenger league who play the, the games, uh, softball or bowling. And then we actually like our terminal Ill kids are, uh, but we, today we had, there's a, a festival uh, Christmas lights at a Jellystone park. And so, what we did is we emailed all the families and said, uh, hey, come on out. Um, we have gifts for them. So we had gifts for them. So we had a big line, handed them all gifts and all this stuff. And then they got, you know, admission to go see with their families, the uh, light show. So that was something we did today and just kind of reaching awesome. out that way um, and helping out uh, some families who've unfortunately through a fire lost everything. So we're trying to restore those families to kind of get back to everything that they need. I mean, they need essentials from um, these toast. I mean, anything you can think of, you know, from bunk beds to mattresses. I mean, they lost everything. So that's what Coos for Kids is kind of, and it's a way for me is uh, uh, to share my faith, um, to use it as a ministry platform to share Christ and, and talk to these people uh, and everyone about what the, their hope lies in. And uh, I get to share that with them. So that's, uh, that's coups for kids on a nutshell. Um, and then we've been, uh, you know, even on that, we've awesome. at our, we've been able to put pavilions in uh, at baseball fields and redo diamonds. And we've put in two handicap accessible parks for kids. So those kids can play and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I've been very blessed uh, the way the direction of this has gone. That's really cool. Awesome. Where does the name, where does the name coups for <laughs> kids come from? Yeah. Coups is uh, <laughs> uh from my mom uh so like i said i'm a full-blooded german and my mom and dad are from germany so um when they would pronounce my name especially my mom um it was marcus and gotcha so, uh, and so i was always a procrastinator. i don't know, it's not that's not the right word i was a after practice you know i put a good work in you know in high school and my mom was there to pick me up and 
she was tired of waiting. <laughs> she actually opened up the locker room door and screamed my name. And the only thing you could hear was ricocheting off of all the walls. Coos, coos, coos. And everyone was like, all right, there it is. So, uh, <laughs> I love so that's it. how it started. That was in high school, my freshman year. So, um, yeah, so that's – and then remember first day in pro ball – Asked Joe Lynette, catching instructor, said, hey, you got a nickname, kid? Yeah, well, yeah, they call me Coos. And for the majority of my minor league years, no one knew what my first name was. All right. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> uh, So, yeah. Well, hey, the story about your mom coming to the locker room, I mean, the dude got drafted out of high school, so nobody's ripping on you because, like, the, the third string JV catcher, probably his mom can't come to the locker room, but your mom could come to the locker room. <laughs> My mom was everyone's mom too. So it was like, she was, we always joke, like the players on the team were like, they were like, yeah, there's a, they're, they're, one of the players said, yeah, my dad's got some other kids sign, you know, <laughs> and then there was the one dad who's got his only his son, you know, and then, and then you got Mrs. Hanel, she's got every kid sign. Hey, you, know, <laughs> you know, that was my mom though. That's who she is. You know, she's just a supporter and yeah, she's loved by everybody, but yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help. You know, you know, I guess it didn't help. I mean, we had a great team that year, but those years uh, in high school, but yeah, it doesn't hurt when uh, you're one of the bigger guys too in the locker yeah. room and your mom. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> That's funny though. Like my son and I got very similarities. Like I was only a five, eight freshman and weighed like, I don't know what I weighed. And I remember at point guard my freshman year and the time I was a sophomore, I was six, two, and then, you know, graduated at six, four. So I wasn't always uh, the size that I am now, but um, yeah. So I had to grow into that frame uh, a little bit and into that, uh, you know, them, <laughs> them fearing, I guess that, that height and stuff. <laughs> I want to say that. <laughs> For sure. Well, hey, Marcus, and, and, and I had to ask Brian, so um, if this is appropriate. So um, in a real, one of my favorite... Going. Favorite things I, I read about you, Marks, was um, I grew up a little bit of a Cubs fan, and uh, <laughs> one of the stories was that uh, you were getting razzed by some Cubs fans oh, yeah. and then ripped off your jersey. Oh, yeah. You had the A Rod jersey with the the uh, underneath. So, oh yes, um, I and I'm sure there's a thousand other stories, but uh, if you can just share one of your favorite memories of uh, you know the the crowd interaction, being on the road, um, and being able to to see some beautiful ballparks, if it's minor league or major league. Um, you know, we did a show a while back ago with our favorite road trips and, and many of our road trips um, revolved around going to minor league stadiums and just experiences and wanting to go see, you know, different stadiums, different places around the country. So if you can just share, you know, a, a cool story, minor league, major league of that interaction with the crowd. Um, yeah. I mean, in more, yeah, the, the, the Wrigley field one was always fun. Like, uh, cause it was, the, I don't know if you guys remember, it was like was it three years ago. There's there a Sunday night game where the, uh, yeah, it was, I think it was three years ago when Aaron Rodgers, um, they were playing the bears. So we just flew into the city on Sunday. We all went like to this, hurry up, let's go watch the game. Some guys were bear fans and they're ribbing it. They were just hammering it. We had, a, so that was a game when Rodgers got hurt and he came back and he throws that touchdown. Oh yeah. To win it. Right. Like, and yeah. so, 
that being said, the next day, you know, we're just, when you're in Wrigley, you're getting hammered. It don't matter. Like you're, it doesn't matter. You're always getting hammered. Because so is everybody in the stands at Wrigley. What's that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because exactly. Because so is everybody in the stands. So they're, they're on you for getting a ball, whatever it is, you, you know, they're calling you whatever you want. So finally, you know, I just said, oh, this, I, I was, I, I was really chomping at the bit. So finally they took it a little too far. So I had my Rogers Jersey on underneath my BP top and I took my hat off and I took my Jersey, my BP top off. And I just went like, <laughs> and I put my BP top in my back pocket and I shagged the last 15 minutes in my Rogers Jersey. And they were just huge, you know, and I was just like, so just going in and then going back into the dugout and our clubhouse too. And everyone was just like loving that stuff. The other, the other part, like we'd have fun in Rayleigh too, is like, we had, this is from Kyle Loesch though. Like, and he, he would like, they would always like, they would go left field, you know, the right field. Anyways, during batting practice, he would like point to the left field crowd right while we're shagging batting pro batting practice and you have a ball in his hand and he'd get them like come on come on and they would start to like <sighs> and then he would go to the right field like yeah and he'd get them get them get them and like they get louder and he'd go back and forth left field <sighs> right field <sighs> and finally he would go he'd point to one of the sections and he would point the ball at him he's like yeah 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 and he'd fake throw Put it back in, and he'd throw the ball back in the bucket. You know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and they, oh man! And then he'd laugh, and they'd take it in. Oh man! So they would get, they would get just absolutely on fire for that. Um, some funny interactions, just kind of like playing catch with some kids or somebody in the stands, um, before a game interaction. That minor league wise, back before Bull Durham became the new Bull Durham, I got to play in the old stadium, the one that you'd see in the movie. Um, they had one huge speaker out in center field. I was the only speaker they had. So, um, man, that was a, it was a college town. It was a lot of fun, but there was one game where it was dark skies and it looked like it was going to pour. And all of a sudden you just hear, you're like, and you hear it again, right? Dark skies. Everyone just panics and flies off the, like, all of a sudden, thunder rolls. There was a song. <laughs> <and that rolls. laughs> and everyone was like, we, we, we ran. We took, we cleared out. And uh, we had to come back in and stuff. It was like Garth that. Brooks. Is it Garth <laughs> Brooks? Yeah. So Garth Brooks knocked us off a field one time without running <laughs> that was That was, uh, that was just kind of a little thing. Uh, we had some antics like at the field where that like, like the what was it 2020 Odyssey? Is that that song? Dun, 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 mm -hmm. Right? Sure. One of yep. our pitchers before the game started posing to that song. Like he started <laughs> like dun, like walk like out to the foul line, and then he go dun, dun. and then he just started like making these wild, I mean wild poses. And so by the third game of the series, like the whole, there's like 3000 people came over and like started watching him do these. And I'm talking, I don't know how many people or who's listening. So I'm gonna keep it as that. I mean, but they weren't like your normal poses. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Guard your eyes. Um, 
there was there was nothing held back let's just put it that way <laughs> but it was it was hilarious i mean you just sit there and be hilarious um rain delay tarp slides oh yeah um, yeah those did a couple in frederick i actually did one in the big leagues in pittsburgh um that i got some uh some pub for that was kind of fun so i uh, just ran out there game was canceled and did they actually did that there and in Wrigley Field a couple? Yeah, I did a couple of times. So those <laughs> are some fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, you had some pretty good Wrigley experiences with uh would you get Chris Bryant's first home run ball? That was in Miller Park. Yep. Oh, it was in Miller Park. Do you yep. still have that ball? I gave it back to him, then he signed me a baseball back. Oh, okay. And they gave you okay, that's yep. what I saw. So awesome. Yeah. So in your man cave, what's your coolest piece of memorabilia down there? Probably the Rogers signed jersey. Ooh. Okay. Awesome, oh, man. I don't know if we can have this guy on. I'm not a Rogers fan. <laughs> you will be after tonight. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I guess it's, I, I took it around the thing, but it's like, like, so I got, uh, Oh geez, that didn't work out. Hey, flip this thing. Um, see if I can give you a little, uh, if I can learn how to do this, see where we can flip. Can you flip this thing? Are you able to flip this view? Um, Talking to three guys that zoom every day that don't don't have any clue. <laughs> yeah, are you able to flip the camera in here? That's right. Sorry. I think we saw it in your background there. Yeah. So, anyways, you look at the background. I got like oh, uh, yeah. Rogers, uh, Wade. I got a Pujols jersey. Um, yeah, I got a Robin Yount that I need to get framed too. But um, cool. That'd be kind of nice. Yeah, that Rod. I'd probably say that Rogers one. You know, there's some stuff though, like. That's not signed though. It's like from our, uh, just looking over there. Some of like my, uh, my goggles from winning, uh, won like some mm -hmm. uh, NLCS and stuff are the uh, NLDS. Sure. Like those hats. I mean, they're still champagne soaked. They can see, I can see the stains from here. That stuff <laughs> um, is cool. Some champagne <clears throat> bottles from those days, uh, games that are over there. Um, th those are ones that mean the most, awesome. you know, I guess. Uh, Hoffman too, being with him, uh, he signed a 600 save, uh, picture. Um, yeah, there's, I actually got my all-star Jersey too, cause I caught the all-star game, um, at Miller park. So, uh, uh the home run derby and stuff. So I got a oh, Jersey cool. there and everyone from the NL, uh, signed that Jersey. Oh, that's so, neat. Sweet. That's awesome. So that's a pretty cool thing. Um, and then being a Badger fan, uh, I've got like, um, JJ Watt, uh, you know, I have a jersey of his and uh, a picture. And then a good friend of mine, if you're a true Badger fan, Chris Maragos, um, who I grew up with. Yeah. His, I'm good friends with his dad, but I became good friends with him as well. So those are like, they're probably that people like, oh, why does that one mean so much? But, you know, being another local kid like Chris Maragos, that's a pretty cool accomplishment for his, his story. I, I tell you what, his story, Absolutely. That, that guy, you want to talk shop with that guy. Man, that guy's awesome. Cool. Very cool. Um, so I you're got from one. Minnesota? I am, yeah. But I'll tell you what, I would have known that, man. You're doing well getting rid of that row the boat and going with let's go red. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. And that so, row the boat's going to sink this weekend, too. It might. Is, it sure might. Yeah, I um, hope so, man. I hope our boys come to play. It, that's like you the know, one and team I hope we dominate. That's something that in the last probably five years that living down here – um, I'm, I'm probably 50, 50, maybe even a little more towards the Badger side than the Gopher side. It just kind of depends on the sport, to be honest. Um, I, I root for Gophers hockey. 
I'm the softball coach here at the high school, so I really like the Gophers softball program. Um, the Gophers have a baseball program, but man, when it comes to basketball and football, um, it's it's hard to argue with the amount of success that the Badgers have had, uh, how fun it is, the atmosphere to go to the games. Um, a few years back, there's just a lot of kind of bad apples in in those two programs at the U of M, and it's just it's been a lot more enjoyable. If you're rooting for something, it should be fun. And it's been a lot more enjoyable to be a Wisconsin fan. So <laughs> my only thing is what bums me out is going to a Badger game and man, how late the student section, I wish somehow they could get that. Like, it's like we're the only stadium or only place in the country where it looks like that, you know, all these big time, <clears throat> they always want to be big time, but they don't look big time in that area. You know, the students or whatever, it's just yeah. kind of a bummer. I wish somehow they could get that part cleaned up. Cause I hate watching the first quarter, not seeing anyone. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, come on, come yeah. on kids let's go. So I don't know how they got to do it or what they got to <laughs> do, but um, yeah, it's a pretty cool. Uh, it's cool. I love the rivalry. You know, that stuff is good for everything. Mm -hmm, definitely. Is, is it a rivalry if the ax stays on one side of the river all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think if Minnesota wins, it's, a, it's uh the series is tied Brian over all, all time. I believe 61, 61, and eight. Yeah, that's crazy. That is so cool. Yeah. So it's kind of like the Bears and Packers. Yes. Too, like the Bears and the, like, like, the, it's like a crazy, like, even matchup over mm -hmm. the years. Just seems so dominant of lately that you wouldn't have think that, you know? So that is pretty wild to see that everything's so equal. And my yeah. father in law says, Well, Brian, that's because you didn't live through the 60s when the Packers were god awful. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, I'll be honest, I think even for as a whole, you know, in the sports uh, for us, regardless of Packers, Bucks, Brewers, Badgers, basketball, whatever, even we haven't really seen that like ugly, ugly scenes like that, uh, that those droughts. Yeah, um, I don't think in a long run. So we've been pretty, pretty lucky mm -hmm. not to go through that, those ugly periods, you know, because that is not bad. That's that some bad stuff. So, um, yeah, we've been blessed to not have to worry about that too much. And if it For is sure. it's been a quick one or two year and then back, back to just bouncing back. Back to just having MVPs everywhere. Yeah, how about <laughs> that? How about having three in the state, like every major sport, you know? Yeah. That's that's impressive, you know. That's and you know we were just talking about that. Uh, another buddy of mine uh, who played, I had breakfast with him this morning. Um, AJ Ellis, um, he played with the Dodgers, and um, we we're just talking about how the city of Milwaukee gets this bad rap, you know, until you get here, and all of a sudden they're like, "This is the greatest place to play now," you know, because guys will come and like. <clears throat> like wow i didn't know it was just like it, it, this is awesome um passionate pressure isn't like it is like new york or wherever it is but the mindset though um to get a free agent is difficult though still you know it's yeah. not to trade for a guy or you got young guys here that he like sees how fun and how nice it is here so that's still the hang up about uh, Milwaukee, you know, which was pretty neat to see Giannis sign that contract, you know, something to stay, you know? So I think it means a lot, <laughs> not just, um, 
to the game of basketball, but for the city and the state, like someone's actually staying, you know, to have people want to stay. Yelich signing a 10-year deal. You know, you got Aaron Rodgers sticking around. And so that'd be pretty cool. Hopefully yeah. those guys can grab it <clears throat> to, and get more guys to come here. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would agree. And then I'll just put kind of the Minnesota perspective on it. That's That's another reason it's fun to root for the Badgers is, I think Wisconsin fans are way more passionate and just to use the word fan, they're more fanatical than at least where I grew up in the twin cities. It's yeah, you root for them, but we kind of all know what's going to happen in the end and it's not going to be fun at the end. And so you're kind of just waiting for that other shoe to drop and it, it's hard to sometimes buy in. So, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I think too, like one of the things I think that hurt Minnesota for a long, like I think what's helping them now is they have their own facility yeah um, football so it's kind of giving it their own identity not sharing a complex and i think so that i think helps minnesota and you got a pretty passionate uh coach up there and fleck um he sure is <laughs> so he's he's you know i you know he doesn't always i hear great things you know about him truthfully um so i, I can't say anything bad about him but uh um, maybe not my cup of tea, the way he goes about and does things, stuff like that. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I'm excited about the guy we have, Paul Christ. He's just a no nonsense, straight shooter who, um, is as genuine as you can get. That's what I like. I and mean, that's, that's awesome. For sure. So. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he, he looks like Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. He looks like, uh, you know, cheese curds and a couple brats and beers and, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. right, well so that's a lot of wisconsin talk should we do some win in rome let's do it all right so lead us off brian I, and I, i'll admit my win in rome is not wisconsin based tonight it's more seasonal so um i got out of school with a business degree and didn't use it very long decided to go back to school to become a teacher <laughs> and in the process of that, I worked at Menards for about five years. And at Menards, just about the minute trick-or-treating is over, they start Christmas music, I think until about March. <laughs> so I kind of went through a stretch in my life where I just hated Christmas music because there was so much of it. So my when in Rome is very seasonal. It's, do you like Christmas music? And maybe what are some of your favorite Christmas songs? When should they come on? Um, I've got some favorite Christmas songs and I think they might surprise you guys, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys go and then I'll kind of react. Oh my goodness. Well, one, my number one rule is not till after Thanksgiving meal. So, so it, it can so be the same as you said with night, the Christmas it can lights. be the next day. Absolutely. Okay. You got to hit the, the music and the lights so you can sync them up together um, I don't get to control the music in our house, but uh, my wife is all about Pentatonix Christmas on the uh, Pandora station. So I'm pretty sure it plays almost nonstop throughout the day and my kids join in on it. Uh, Marcus, I've got five young kids that are uh, between the ages of two and seven. So every day is an adventure in my house. And uh, they the, tonight at dinner, we're, we're jamming out to some Christmas music, uh, having a family meal, and, and they thoroughly enjoy it. So uh, before we had to go to a little, little dribblers basketball tonight, but uh, anything on there we, we listen to. So you, you name a song, we've probably sang it in our house. So no favorites, just the general uh, Christmas music. Definitely good for um, 
between Thanksgiving and the day after Christmas, it's done. Okay. So I, once uh, the 26th of December comes, you got to cut that off. All right. I'm, I'm with you, Brad. Same way. I like my Christmas music between Thanksgiving and the 26th. I don't want to hear it before. I do like it. <laughs> I was listening to it this morning in my classroom, getting my chemistry lesson ready. So I'm, I like it. Probably, I don't know if it's my favorite song, but a Christmas song that brings warmth to my heart is Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey. Unusual <laughs> <laughs> Christmas song. But when I was growing up, my parents had this record of Christmas songs, and Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey was on there, and we loved it as kids. And to this day, when I hear it, it brings back all of those warm childhood Christmas memories. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, leave it to me. Um, yeah, I'm definitely uh, Thursday or uh, Thanksgiving night um, music, uh, Christmas music. Yeah, it, this year, I don't know if it's because of this year. I really, uh, for whatever reason, I'm enjoying Christmas music this year. Um, I don't know if there's just more meaning because of everything we've gone through or whatnot. Um, I'll be honest, not all years I'm as like, all right, we can switch the station here or there. But uh, um, But I do like go up to Christmas day, but after like, where we always go to my mom's house on Christmas day, as we're driving back, I'm like, all right, Christmas is over. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> all right. There you go. It's that, that night it feels like, huh, let's put on something else. So, but right. uh, favorite song, I guess, I'm not great. I don't even know, like, uh, I love the Andy Williams CD, like an old, uh, like his, oh, this is his Christmas CD um some of the old stuff even nat king cole um those kind of guys some of the newer stuff uh you know i uh yeah i just i mean yeah the pentatonics is on a little bit around here so i don't know if i have one in particular i just uh a lot of times now i don't even know if i'm even like it's just background music truthfully you know oh all right so yeah i i love it right now okay and uh soon as Uh. 25th is then it's the good vibe (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, what's the date today? Today is the, what is it, the 15th, 16th. 16th. Today is the day that it hit me that, oh, yeah, it's Christmas music time. It was, so it was today. <laughs> and I, was, I come home every day for lunch, Marcus. I got a killer commute, four blocks. And so I come home every day for lunch, make sure my eighth grader is online doing school at the kitchen table. And for me, uh, growing up, going to my dad's hometown in Little Linton, North Dakota, and my grandma singing in the church choir, we would go to midnight mass on Christmas Eve at midnight. Uh, to me, it's it's all about the the church Christmas music. I love mm-hmm. Go Tell It on the Mountain. I love Silent Night. I love Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Like Those are my favorite Christmas songs is uh, the religious aspect of it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm probably not what you guys expected. And maybe, maybe it's even more so because those weren't necessarily what was being played through the Menards loudspeakers for those years. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Makes sense. Oh. <clears throat> so. Hey, I'll, I'll jump in and, and, uh, my, would you rather tonight really isn't a, would you rather, um, but what's your, if, if we're going to stick with theme of, of Brewers baseball tonight, uh, favorite racing sausage? 
so you have the gamut of racing sausages. Brian, I'm going to start with you because I think I know what yours is tonight. Well, so you, I should know what mine is, but I don't. Um, Marcus, I, I, I don't know how much you know about the Clement sausage co costumes. <clears throat> they have about two or three sets of them. I think you guys always have one or two at the park. And then there's one or two that float around the state for different promotions. My father-in-law owns a grocery store in Gillette, which is about 1,100 people up towards kind of the Green Bay area. And I have been in one of those costumes for the 4th of July parade. <laughs> it was about 325 degrees inside the costume. Um, I was the one that has the, the green suspenders. I don't remember what number or even what sausage, but that would be my favorite one. That's the brat. All right. That fits. That fits. <laughs> there you go. So that, that's me. Justin, you got a favorite sausage? Uh, I, I would go with just, you know, the brat. Um, if I go to Miller Park, you know, I'm going to get a sausage. I'm, I'm usually just going to get the brat. I, you know, I'm just kind of a traditional guy that way. So um, I'll root for the brat. But in the end, you guys know me. I enjoy a good race. I want to see some entertainment. I want to see it kind of close at the end. <laughs> Marcus, you got one that you cheer for? Yeah, that's the brat. You know, yeah, three for three. Yeah, it's the jerk. Oh, jer I just jer have the Polish here, I guess. <laughs> there you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. And I do have the Polish bobblehead tonight, but I think I'm a brat guy as well. So we can go with a clean sweep with the uh, the brat tonight. I like it. I like it. All right. So, Justin, you know, well, did you guys know that that Marcus here has a couple of pretty unique talents? I know. I think I know one of them. Okay. Well, there was a four-day stretch in 2015 <laughs> when Marcus was in the city of brotherly love. And over the course of those four days, I believe, while at the ballpark, he consumed 23 Philly cheesesteaks. <laughs> Marcus, can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> okay, hold on. Before you jump into that, I read that today, too. And I had to read it two times before I realized it said cheese steak and not cheesecake. <laughs> I might have ate 23 of those too. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of, it's one of the tradition, obviously Philly's known for their cheesesteaks, right? So everyone goes to like Gino's or Pat's or um, you try, but anyways, the new clubhouse and the facility that they have, they have their, we have everyone in the, they have every, visiting clubhouse you go to now has their own kitchen. And so in there, they'd still make cheesesteaks for you, even though there's all kinds of like restrictions as a yacht, you know, what you eat. But anyways, <clears throat> when they started it out, it was kind of like how many could you eat in a day? Like it started out when that's like, and sometimes at one point it was like five. So guys would eat five and come on, Coos, you can do it. You can do it. Right. So, <laughs> They're egging you on. So the one year I did like a one day, I think it was like seven. I did it in one day and they're like, and then that got broken. And I was like, I really don't need to do this anymore. Like I don't need to do this. Well, and I was done with it. I didn't want to do anymore. Like, so in 15, Ed Cedar was going to do it at a radio show and he put it on air. Like, Hey, what are you going to do in Philadelphia? And he goes, well, can't wait to go to the clubhouse. Cause I'm going to watch Marcus and watch Coos shatter this cheesesteak record. And I'm like, 
I'm done. I'm done. I'm like, no, you're going to eat all these cheesesteaks. I'm like, really, I'm not going to do it. I get to the clubhouse and usually that first day we get there early because it's like a, our coaches meeting and stuff like that for a pre-series meeting. So get there. I didn't order anything. I just kind of like, oh, I'm not going to have one. I'm, I'm, so I'm like, you, they go, you got to have a cheesesteak. So I had one. And then it always um, starts with one. Next thing, Ed Sear goes, How's that tasting? I go, it's pretty good. Like you're gonna have another like 20. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, bring it on. So he goes, all right. So then he went around the clubhouse and started like getting the guys behind me. If I could break such and such, they would throw in a money in the pot. <clears throat> so I'm like, all right. So <clears throat> that first day. So then by the time I went into our meeting at like one, I already had two down. So I'm like, all right, I got to plan this out. Like, how am I going to do this? I got to give you like, to break the record. It was like 18 was a record in a day. What a else? day? No, not a day. Excuse me. The, the, the road trip. Three day, the three-day record, I think, was like 17 or something like now, that. Is this a brewer's record? Or is this like a visiting no, like, clubhouse record? Their clubhouse, they have this huge sheet. How many cheesesteaks each team has eight? And then who's the individual leader for the most cheesesteaks for, for a day, two days, or three days? And this so, is awesome. So, so I'm like, all right, I'm not going for the one day. I'll just, I got it. If I can do so many. So, so I had the first two down. It wasn't even like two by the time, but we had early hitting like at 2.30. So I'm like, all right, we'll go out. So I came back in. It was like three o'clock. I had my third one. And uh, I'm like, all right. This is getting a little heavier. <laughs> I'm like, <clears throat> had that one. And now like I didn't catch bullpens, right? And bullpens and all this kind of stuff. So after a bullpen, I hurry up, ran into the clubhouse. <clears throat> and I go, man, I need to eat another cheesesteak. And they're like, all right, they whip me up another one. Now batting practice is getting ready to start. And I am struggling. I mean, I'm struggling <laughs> to get this fourth one down. I'm shagging in the outfield. <laughs> with half a cheese steak in my glove. And I would chase after, pick up the cheese steak in my glove, run, catch it, switch, throw a ball in, take a bite. And so I got my fourth done by the time BP was done. And on the road, it's a quick turnaround. You just go right in, you come back out. And I had to go out there and play catch. And I'm like white as a, sh like, I mean, it's four cheesesteaks. They're 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 over a foot long, and I'm just like this brutal. So I'm like, and then you ever have meat sweats? <laughs> Man, I, am I was waiting for you inning. to break that term out. <laughs> the first the first inning, I am in the bullpen. Like, holy cow, this is bad. I didn't want to move. I'm like, you know, and. I'm just like, this, this isn't good. But by the end of the game, like I got my mojo back and there's two of them waiting for me. As soon as I get in the clubhouse, I'll come off. Right. And I'm like, that was all right. I got my six in. Right. So next day, same thing, but it got a little easier. And then by the third day I hit that 18th broke the record. They actually had a TV crew come out the next day. And fill me, eight, like I think the 19th one or whatever, 20th one that's like that because it broke a record. They knew about it because it was a slow. Philly lost 100 some games. They had nothing else to cover. 
<laughs> came over and they filmed me like with the guys in the clubhouse and me taking a bite of this cheesesteak and like, yeah, you know, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> the kicker though to this was every day after I ate the cheesesteaks, like, I mean, I forgot the caloric intake of that, but every, the, the, they'd laugh because this is the highlight of the, the whole story for these guys. Every time I walked on the bus, I had myself an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm walking on the, uh, I got this thing of ice cream. Like I got some ice cream, whatever it was. I'm like, you know, and they're like, this is, so that actually everyone's like, how was it? Like, did you like, I go, man, my heart was the only, the worst day was I did all cheese. I mean, all, all actual meat, no, all beef. Um, there's chicken there, but I didn't do chicken. So I said, if anybody wants to beat this record, it's got to be all beef. And I will tell you <laughs> the fourth day I got through it all. But the fifth day when I was in Cincinnati, my heart was like racing super fast. I mean, the withdrawals. It was <laughs> it, that or what? There's no way I was going to eat one of those. How uh, are they got the, the skyline chili in Cincinnati? That's mm -hmm. the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. How. They try to highlight that thing and like, oh my god, I wouldn't even give my dog that. Oh god, they're all like, yeah, skyline chili. I'm so sorry. You get, you get home from this road trip. What's your wife say? Is she proud of you? Um, she's like, um, how you feeling and how much money did you bring home? <laughs> <laughs> Great job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, at first it was like, don't get sick, don't do it. Oh, you really gonna go? Oh, go for it. <laughs> uh, it was kind of neat though. I should have got I, man, I could I mean I don't flush on my phone, but um man, I could if I could run upstairs. I the uh the the media guys actually bought me a special hat too, which was really cool. So gosh, I wish I if I'd I'd go up I, anyways, it was a uh, it's a cheesesteak hat. Uh, nice. Yeah, so that, was, awesome. that was kind of cool. Guys oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. By the way, um, just so you know, the the entity, the organization that keeps track of eating records has a Philly cheesesteak cheesesteak eating record. Um, it's 23, believe it or not, the same number of cheesesteaks you ate. Probably in one six day. In 10 minutes. Oh, it's <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's just ridiculous. That's yeah, not, it's, um, it's horrible. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> that's not good. Is that a, was that a Jimmy Chestnut record? Yeah, Joey Chestnut, of course. Who else would have that, right? Or Joey, I'm that's, sorry. That's him. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> Justin, did you have a second part of that? <clears throat> no, we'll leave it there. Okay, that was awesome. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, because you said I had a second feet. I don't know if you. Uh, I don't. Know, I was kind of curious as what. Oh well, you 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 you're famous for your large hands and holding seven baseballs. Yes. In one hand, which is impressive, um, no doubt. So to me, that that's another unique talent. <laughs> that's where I thought you were going with it, Justin. Gotcha. <laughs> That's where I thought that's, you were going with it. That's always kind of fun to do, you know, show the kids. Like, oh, how big are your hands? Yeah, there you are. So don't get, yeah, don't <laughs> behave. <laughs> well, I on that note, oh, go ahead, always, go ahead. No, I used to do some, I used to do like some like youth ministry stuff and we'd have to go like some juvenile detention stuff and the guy would bring me in there and I'd, they'd introduce me and these kids would be like, 
wow, your hands are huge. And so then um, they, what they would do is uh, uh, I'd make a fist and then they would stand there and they'd have me put it by their face. And, you know, like, <laughs> they would like cover their whole thing. And so they were like just scare tactics and stuff. So I guess it would, they molded my hand here and they said, hey. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah that's good that's good yeah um so i don't know if it's up to me um i got actually two things um did you know i guess we i guess that's how you'd say it um do you know how many men have played in the big leagues oh uh, i had an, at one point i had heard this and i'm gonna the number I'm thinking is, for some reason, 7,500 is sticking out in my brain. It seems low to me, but that's going to be what I say. Brad, you got a guess? I'm going to take something in the uh, the 35,000 range. Justin? Uh, what do we got? Uh, 120 years of baseball, 25 guys on a team. That 7,500 is way low. <clears throat> um. I'm I'm gonna go. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm going prices right, and and I'm gonna bet a dollar, and I'm gonna be closer than either of those two guys. I think. Well, so you're saying one? Uh, you say thirty-five thousand, Bradley? And I you did. said seventy-five, right? I said seventy-five hundred. Believe it or not, Brian is the closest. Um. Isn't it, isn't it amazing to think, like, I always ask these kids this, right, and they're always saying, oh, there's a million guys that played baseball, right? You just – and you start, like, all right, I mean, just think about the pop. You think of the – only 20 – I think this year uh, it was met. 20 – the 20,000 20, guys have played Major League Baseball this year. That's just so crazy. If I did the math right, you were the closest, Brian. Um, and uh, what's pretty wild is – that's including guys who've only played one day in the big leagues, right? Yeah. That's not even including like you think, oh, everyone's played so many years in the big. That's that's including those guys. And then you got you break it down to more like catchers, right? Like that one position. If you're thinking half of those two thousand are probably pitchers, right? At least. Oh. Right. Sure. Not more. So I don't know their actual numbers. That's a thousand. So if you break that down even more, like you start breaking it down, well, a third of those got to be outfielders, right? Because there's three outfielders. You know, so you're down to like like 600 guys, right? If you take a third of those. Um, now you're looking at all you got. So then you find there's not that many guys at the catching position or whatever who's actually played in the big leagues. So that's one thing that's kind of stressed on these kids. Uh, stress, like – I mean, it looks like a, oh, yeah, just get to the big leagues. That's a great, I mean, it's like you, everyone thinks like everyone gets there, but they don't. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So I'll try to like mm -hmm. tell these kids, man, you're going to got to have something that you're going to be able to do well after baseball, you know, so don't lose sight of that either. So, um, yeah, that's that. That's my did you know? And I guess my other question would be this, Brian, you um, <clears throat> triggered this one. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? Oh boy. Favorite Christmas tradition. Can I go last? Because <clears throat> I need time to think. <laughs> hey, and and I'm gonna I'll I'll lead us off. Um I think mine is now that I have kids, it's that 
you know, 6.15 in the morning wake up call with the kids, you know, screaming down the stairs and just excited that there's presents under the tree and jumping into bed and waking you up. And, um, you know, just that, that family time, definitely the early morning, uh, the early morning family time and presence is, is definitely a great uh, tradition. Uh, my, mine's family, Justin? Related, mine's family related to, um, Christmas Eve, we get together with my wife's family and, um, hang out and just enjoy one another's company. And then Christmas day, sometime in the afternoon, early evening, we do the same thing with my parents and my sisters and their families. And to me, um, you can't beat that time, um, that you get with those people that you love. So that that's mine. All right. Um, mine is probably something that doesn't necessarily happen in our family anymore, but like I said, my dad grew up in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, a town of about 2000 people. And so we would go there every other year for Christmas. <clears throat> my mom grew up about three miles from where I grew up. Um, so we'd stay home every other year. And to me, it was going to North Dakota for Christmas. Um, it's, it's a miracle that any of me and my cousins, and there was like 24, 25 of us are still alive. Um, it was not only that we would pull a toboggan. The toboggan had a rope about five feet long that we would pull behind, not a four-wheeler, but a three-wheeler. And we would get as many kids on that toboggan as we could and just whip around the farm and in the ditches and up and around culverts. And it was just, it was the most fun in the world. And uh, those, those childhood memories of just being with all my cousins in, the, in North Dakota, freezing our butts off, but not knowing it. And it was just a blast. And then, and then, grandma's homemade ice cream which we would walk down to the crick not the creek but the crick and actually <laughs> chop ice to bring home and make the ice cream because when i don't know if you guys have ever made homemade ice cream but you put all the ingredients in the cylinder and the, the beaters in there and on the outside of that cylinder inside the bucket you put the ice and you put salt on the ice and all that so we would actually walk down and chop all the ice for that so that's that's mine Marcus, what about you? You know, uh, it's kind of evolved a little bit. You know, growing up was always uh, going with the family to, you know, Christmas Eve service and then coming home. And we opened presents that night. Um, that was growing up as a kid. Um, but now it's um, getting all the families together, obviously. Um, uh, all the Christmas Eve, Eve. I have my one side comes from Michigan. Everyone gets together. Christmas Eve just going to church with everyone, just, uh, I don't know, just something about, usually there's that candlelight service that yep. just kind of, uh, man, just for sure, just seems so much peace and harmony at that moment, you know, like there's nothing distracting, there's nothing that is taking you away um, besides you're focused on him and um, the hope that he's given us, and I don't know, that that's just kind of a, a great time, just kind of sets the mood for um then the rest of them we just would go to my in-laws that night and then the next day go to my mom so that's kind of what it is now but um the other little one my wife and i um the kids would go to sleep but wrapping presents watching best christmas whatever christmas vacation so yes. that's, a, yeah. yes. <laughs> all right. well, that's our other tradition all right, let's wrap some presents. Awesome. Let's put Christmas vacation on. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's been a new. That's been a, that's a kind of fun one. <laughs> cool. Well, speaking of wrapping presents, let's wrap this up. Thank you, Marcus, for being on. Uh, really, really appreciate it. This has been 
so much fun. Um, I know we went way longer than a normal episode, but I don't care because if three people watch <laughs> it or if no people watch it, I had fun. And that's really why we started this whole thing anyway. So um, thank you, Marcus. <laughs> really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks guys, Ben. You guys are a blast. Uh, I wish you well and everything you're doing. Don't thank be you. Uh, hesitant to reach out in any way uh, in time. All right. Uh, everybody, remember that you can uh, follow the show on Facebook. Remember that uh, you can join the group by reaching out to Brad or I. Email the show, freshmanparkinglot at gmail.com. Subscribe. I think the kids say smash that subscribe button on YouTube, right? <laughs> so subscribe on YouTube. I don't know. That's what they say, I think. Okay. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Get a tub of, hey, Ben Gay makes great stocking stuffers this time of year. So <laughs> that in mind. And uh, Nate did a great job. I don't think we had any internet lapses today. He got the long cable to reach into the living room. He didn't fall asleep out in the production truck. Great job, Nate. Uh, so, hey, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I don't know when we'll see if we're going to do one over Christmas break here or not. But uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. And Marcus. Yeah, Merry you Christmas. too. Merry Christmas. We have a Yeah.